0: Welcome to episode 87 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Reddit director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inostroza, joined, as always, by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Fringe, season one, episodes 18 through 19. So the first episode Up in that batch is the episode entitled Midnight. So Matt, I have a question for you. What wouldn't you do for a person that you love?
1: It's funny that you start that way because my absolute least favorite line in this entire episode is when that dude is dying and Walter's like, why did you lie to me? And he says, how far would you go for someone you love? And I was like, Dude's last words are a fucking movie tagline? Are you for real? Like, this is... What is he promoting? Taken 12? So that was, like, just such a jarring moment because, yes, it distills it, but I was like, that has definitely been on a movie poster in the last 20 years for some thriller about somebody going to extreme lengths. So it, it makes me laugh that you bring that up right away. And in terms of things that I also don't love. Cause I do like this episode overall. It's a fun, we've got this lady on the loose who is killing people. She's got some sort of animalistic, almost vampire like urge, but it's brought on by this weird spinal fluid issue. But when we first start, we get a sense of her killing. And then we go to Olivia at home. And I was wrong a few weeks ago when I thought we were mercifully taking Rachel and Ella off the board for a little while and giving us a break when they said they were going to look for a new house. And here we're dealing with all of the sudden, Rachel's deadbeat husband wants a divorce and wants custody. A guy that they've barely mentioned even in passing up until now. And it's like, hey, you know what we didn't need in the home stretch of Fringe season one? A storyline about custody of Ella and her. Rachel getting a divorce and Olivia having to ask broils for advice on divorce attorneys. Get the fuck out of here. Not why I'm watching this show. The cool way that this opens with this cheating guy, getting what he deserves in the opening in a very grisly fashion was a lot of fun. And I like that this murderer eats the spine of the, the people that she attacks. And that was, suitably gruesome and the effects work on the spines jutting out of the back of the necks was awesome
0: you mentioned it but the subplot of olivia's sister needing a lawyer in this episode i was like guys we are late in the season why do we need this right now you could just jet in this plan you could just jet in this plot out the window and you could dedicate it to the central you know mcguffin of this episode, which is that woman who needs that spinal fluid to live or else she'll die. The interesting thing that I thought this episode did is it really brought a human face to a scientist that has done some shady work for ZFT. Now, you guys may remember a couple of weeks ago, I did mention that I wanted a scientist with an emotional core. I wanted a scientist that knew he was doing awful things, but he was doing these awful things for a reason. So this episode unknowingly gave me that one thing that I've always wanted, a mad scientist with a heart. The main reason that he's doing evil things is because ZFT, this organization that we've heard of, that we think is supposedly bad, but we subconsciously know that they're, They're not bad, they're good. This plot point that ZFT kidnapped this guy's wife and the way that this guy really kept his wife in check, taking out his spinal fluid and feeding it to his wife. I've had a couple friends in my life who've had to have spinal fluid extracted from them and it's not a pleasant experience at all.
1: Yeah, it looks super painful when they do it in this episode. And it's one of those things that you definitely hope you never have to experience. And I did like that this does start where they track down Dr. Boone because of his connection to ZFT. And they say to him, we need to know who is doing these murders and what's happening. And he kind of pulls the stereotypical bullshit that fringe has played into where He gets us to do one thing when actually the truth of what he wants is another. And so he uses fringe division as pawns to go to this restaurant back room and this freezer because he tells them that his wife is being held hostage there and he will only help them if they release his wife. And then, of course, Olivia gets there. His wife isn't there, but the vials of the antigen that turned her are and we find out that She has not been held hostage, but he needed this thing and he didn't want to come clean and that she is the one on the loose and killing and that, yes, he did try and help her himself as much as he could, because we see a video from three weeks earlier where he's dancing around a park bench and the doctor that we know is wheelchair bound. So it's interesting to see, as you say, this mad scientist and this sort of Frankenstein who's willing to go to these lengths for love because he doesn't want his wife to suffer or to be killed. And he does everything he can to, you know, refuel her, um, of his own way, but then he can't do it anymore. So she goes out and starts murdering. And the way she does that is by looking hot as hell and going into these goth clubs and trying to pick up dudes. So there is a scene at the club where the observer walks by I got really into it when Nine Inch Nails is blaring at one of the clubs and you're like, yeah. And she's got these striking blue eyes that, you know, is what's telling us that she's a freak, but also is just a really interesting visual that we know right away something is off, something is different. Unless we think that maybe a Fremen got loose in the nightclub. But I think otherwise it it's an interesting choice. And I do like that when they realize who they're looking for. And what her her disease basically gives you, this ancient version of syphilis, causes your temperature to rise. And the funniest moment, because this this episode doesn't have as many zingers as a lot of the other fringes have, but the funniest moment is when they know that they are after Valerie Boone and they go to the nightclub and Peter has got the uh, heat thermometer vision and he's looking, and a woman comes up to him and goes, Hey, how's it going? And he goes, Good. What are you, what are you doing? And he's like, Well, this is a radiometer. It tells me if you're hot. The girl's like, so? And he's like, You're definitely hot, but I'm looking for someone with syphilis. And then the lady's just like, okay. And kind of goes underway. And I'm like, that exchange was was classic fringe and really funny for Peter to to be honest, like, yeah, no, you're hot, but that's not why I'm here right now. So I'm looking for someone with syphilis, which was a lot of fun. So I did like this whole tracking down this out of control animal, but it's almost like a, a vampire duality where, you know, she seems normal, but then the beast comes out. The Fremen
0: Blue Eyes thing, and when I noticed the blue eyes while I was watching this episode this afternoon, I th- I, I thought, you know, she looked like um uh, she looked like Celine from Underworld after after Celine basically killed the 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 main guy of the series who has both lichen and vampire dna in him so she became like a hybrid uh i'm i'm showing my age a little bit but i did uh i did like that that blue eye aesthetic the other thing that i liked that you didn't like you mentioned it at the top i liked the last line that that scientist guy says because that line is very reminiscent of the entire mission statement of the entire show because as we go along here we're gonna we're gonna discover that walter did something that affected more people than he could ever imagine i mean i know what you think about the line already matt but what do you think about the writer's inserting that specific line do you think they did it just to hint at something bigger or do you think it was just a cheesy line
1: i like the sentiment of the line like it's basically what you were driving at like it's the mad scientist saying love drove me to become mad and do and break the rules because love trumps the rules but the way that it was written in such a succinct let's put this as the tagline of our movie on a poster way is the thing that got me to roll my eyes. Cause there was no subtext or anything in the way that the guy words it. It is just flat out like stating the obvious. So that was, it was more just the way it was written rather than the sentiment of the line.
0: The final episode that we're going to talk about this week, the episode entitled
1: the road, not taken. This episode is finally where we are getting into the meat of fringe in a big way where the main storyline is this woman who spontaneously combusts, but on the scene at this murder or freak accident, Olivia, all of a sudden sees two bodies and then she's back to seeing one. And I like that. Finally, we're getting a sense of the two different worlds they are somehow Olivia is able to move a little bit between them. And it is explained as what deja vu is and how that could be, you know, the road not taken that you're getting a view of, but it is also like your, a view into your alternate self that this thing has happened to them in a different multiversal timeline. And so I liked that we ramp that up. Um, The main thing that sends a lot of this into hyperdrive is that at the end of the last episode, that scientist who went to extreme lengths said that ZFT is being directly funded by William Bell. And so in this episode, we know our main fringe team says we've got to look into Bell because not only is Walter realized that the manuscript was written on his typewriter he lets us know not what we assumed he says this was William Bell's typewriter so I didn't write this fucking manifesto Belly did and so this is all lining up where now we know that ZFT is being funded by William Bell and of course in the first little bit of this our favorite douchebag, Sanford Harris, shows up and says, stop investigating William Bell. Olivia, I'm mad that you're looking into William Bell and I want you to take a psych exam. And so she gets furious. And and we, of course, just think like, are you for real? But as the episode goes on, it turns out to be like a 24 situation where, of course, this douchebag is a bad guy who is working with ZFT and William Bell and he gets outed. And I just like that finally we are crossing over into glimpses of the other side where Olivia goes to visit Broyles and she goes, oh, you moved your desk. And then all of a sudden she's back in his normal office and we as the audience are trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. And the plot of the episode is letting us know that, you know, the whole deja vu, the road not taken, the alternate selves. But also that the drug trials that Olivia was part of as a kid with the Cortexafan was their way of trying to develop super soldiers um, and they need to be activated. So their powers need to basically be switched on in some way if they don't naturally switch on. And what happened with the woman who combusted is that it switched on and she couldn't control it. And through jumping between the two timelines, Dunham realizes that this woman was a twin and that there's another one out there. And so it's a race against time to try and get to her before ZFT does, because ZFT is trying to artificially flip the switch on these super soldiers because they think that the battle that they have been preparing for is imminent. So what are you thinking, Marcelo, as we are getting a ton of new information and this episode is just go, go, go. And a lot of like, what is happening all throughout the
0: episode? All I kept thinking is flame on for the, from, you know, like, like uh, the fantastic four. I love this episode because this is, I guess the second or third episode from the first season that really delves into the procedural bigger storyline of fringe more than the uh, case of the week episodes. And the thing I love about this episode at this very moment, I am still wondering if ZFT is good or bad. Walter hints in this episode, the ZFT Bible should have a code of conduct that belly should not be treating these people who have been weaponized in this way. He wouldn't do this. So I really loved Walter's own crusade if you were, to basically uh, back up a man who is supposedly bad and who everybody thinks is bad and who is missing and who nobody can find. I really love that aspect of this episode. The other part of the episode that I loved, we've been talking about this douchebag for weeks. I completely forgot how this episode was going to end. So when this Other twin, in order for her to calm down, she basically, you know, projected her power. She fried him from the inside out. I love that. I absolutely love that. I was so happy that that happened. But that makes me wonder if Walter is claiming to us that William Bell isn't an awful person, then why are the people supposedly working for him? doing what they're doing. And that also brings into question what happens at the very end of the episode, because if William Bell had control of his people, there's no way that they would have done what they did at the end of the
1: episode. We're trying to still figure out how involved William Bell is and why he's going about what they're trying to do in this way that doesn't seem logical seems highly illogical. Uh, And I did like that. They do mention like William Bell is traveling. He is not available right now. So there's something to that where his people are maybe not acting the way that they should because he is too busy traveling to provide the oversight to make sure that things go in a normal fashion. And when, you know, the the rooster is not home. Then the people run crazy in the hen house. So I think there's something to it in terms of that. I absolutely love that. There's a couple of great, this is like one of the better episodes of the season for sure, because we're opening that door to the two timelines and Olivia jumping back and forth. And I loved all of that. I love that when they go to that apartment and they're trying to track down the twin who has been abducted, it's Peter who comes up with the idea of how to get the information. So we're seeing that Peter is not a dummy. He has been learning this whole time and his information about playing back the window pane is cool and fun. And it just shows that he's an integral part of the team now, much more so than he was at the beginning. So I love that. I love that as they (laughs) finally, our douchebag guy gets his comeuppance because he gets combusted which is a great moment where Olivia tells uh Nancy to focus her energy and they do reference Stephen King's Firestarter, which was a nice throwback because that is something you think about pyrokinesis and of course we're recording this the week that a horrible remake just came out of that movie so it's nice to see it done in a nice way back on fringe back in 2009 um And so our douchebag gets his comeuppance, which I absolutely loved that. That was amazing. And then we get this scene where when Olivia has realized that, like, after she's had that traumatic event and she realizes these twins were part of the same trials that she was in Florida as a kid. Peter and Walter are at a restaurant. Peter takes the most ill-timed bathroom break, the most convenient. And Olivia sneaks in and confronts Walter and says, honestly, what the fuck dude? Like I knew you keep trying to put this on William Bell, but you were there. You were part of this. So what the hell did you do to me? What did you do to these kids? Like we are all suffering. And he says like, you know, I can't remember. I can't, bring it out of my brain. But I just know that like it was protecting us against some huge threat and Olivia is pissed. And then she sneaks off right before Peter comes back and Peter comes back as Walter is just destroyed, like destroyed. He's crying and it's a great moment for John Noble. And it, it lets us know that as we have had lots of questions about Walter and his intentions, at his heart right now, he is a good person who does have remorse and regret for what he did, but he knows it was for some greater good. And then of course where the episode actually ends off is the observer comes to Walter and says, It's time. We're like, okay, it's time for what? And then Nina Sharp embroils, um, there's a, an incident with some masked gunmen that leaves everything kind of hanging where stuff is ramping up as we're heading into this finale. What are you making of the Observer coming back for Walter in this moment?
0: When I watched this episode back in the day, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what the Observer wanted from Walter. And when the final act of this episode happened, my jaw was on the floor because to to move to your point that you said a little uh j- just a few minutes ago when the boss is away the mice will play these people who did something very nefarious at the end of this episode don't work for ZFT i think they work for somebody else that we've never met before also i think that the observer guy who shows up to come and get Walter and says, it's time. I believe that that's the same observer that saved Walter and Peter in the lake. And I believe the deal that they made that day that he's uh, cashing in, so to speak.
1: When Nina talks to Broyles before she goes back and gets whatever happens, happens, she pulls out a file and says like, this guy is showing up way more In the last 24 hours, he's everywhere. He only shows up with this much frequency when something bad is about to happen. So it is the same observer that we know. And we assume that, you know, him coming there is part of this deal that Walter did make at that lakeside tragedy where he almost lost Peter, but the observer intervened. And so it is funny that the moment that he shows up is right when Walter finds the missing chapter of ZFT all about ethics. And it's like, okay, this chapter is probably super important. And a lot of people are reading this book without the ethical chapter, which might give them some better context. And maybe, as you say, maybe these people are not proper ZFT, but like a rogue faction who are working under the similar notion, but not not following the proper guidelines. So I think all of that is intriguing as we ramp up and head toward the finale. A couple of bad robot footnotes we have to make. Um, Walter does have a slusho cup when they are at the crime scene with the charred bodies. So anybody who who knows bad robot and, and JJ and Cloverfield and slusho, that makes an appearance. And of course, we have to talk about the Clint Howard scene in this episode this episode aired May 5th 2009 3 days before trek 09 opened in theaters and there is a moment where they go to visit conspiracy nut Clint Howard Ron Howard's little brother and they say what's going on and he says William Bell is at the heart of it he's creating super soldiers and uh and Peter and Olivia are like oh really like super soldiers okay and he goes, yes, like Khan Noonien Singh. And Olivia's like, okay. And Peter goes, wait a minute, the Khan? And the guy goes, yeah. And he goes, as in the wrath of, and Peter like checks out in that moment. Cause he's like, oh shit. And he goes, let me guess this incoming war it's against. And the guy goes, the Romulans renegade Romulans from the future here to change the timeline And that, of course, is the whole fucking plot of Star Trek 09. So it's very interesting that that is what he mentions. And then he mentions the United Federation of Planets, and he thinks that he's the son of Sarek. And I just love when Peter goes, which makes you Spock. And he's like, "Yep," And he's like, well, Mr. Spock, we'll let you get back to the bridge. Just
0: want to point out first two things. Number one, I loved that scene when they go visit that conspiracy nut. And he starts talking about, you know, William Bell, ZFT, the um, the, the Cortex of Trials. And at first, they're sitting there buying it all, like you said. But, you know, after when the conversation continues, you know, at first I'm like, did he just mention Khan? Did he just mention the Romulans? And I'm like, this guy is nuts. I'm so glad that you brought up the date of this episode because I had no idea that this episode came out one week before Star Trek 09 was released. And to think that makes it even weirder is that this episode was was co-written by J.R. Orsi, which is, he's the older brother of Bob Orsi. And Bob Orsi obviously wrote, or co-wrote Star Trek 2009 with Alex Kurtzman. And also the interesting part of this episode is um, the story for this episode was penned by Akiba Goldsman, who, are now, who is now doing star trek so it's a very interesting coincidence here with this episode i love the scene when olivia confronts walter in the restaurant and she finally calls him on all the shit that he's done i mentioned in la i mentioned a couple weeks ago or in, or or in uh, the episode last week that i wanted olivia to have a more adverse reaction like i wanted olivia to stand up and s- And basically punch Walter in the face. But as I was watching this episode and as I was watching, as I was watching Walter react, I was like, you know what? I don't want Olivia to punch him in the face because just Olivia talking to him and just Olivia making him realize all the badness that he's done is enough. And I really think that Olivia could have been a little bit more kind to him because Walter, throughout the course of the series, has been the guy holding the bag. The one person who is responsible for all of this shit is suspiciously out of the country. And his organization, Massive Dynamic, they don't like to take responsibility for anything. And when they find out that they're being investigated by the FBI for something, what does Nina Sharp do? She runs to Royals and says, what the hell are you doing? This is unfair. We have been completely cooperative. This is not fair. We don't deserve this. And I'm like, of course you deserve this. Because you have the most awful security on the face of the planet. I have never seen a technology company that has the worse security than you do. I really feel bad for Walter being the guy that's holding the bag. I just feel bad for him. Am, am, am I the only one? I can't be the only one, right?
1: No, there are moments, and definitely in that moment where he's crying at the restaurant, you feel bad for him because we know from what we have seen of Walter, he's not a bad guy. And if he did bad things, he has definitely tried to make up for it. And if there are these gaps in his memory, we think that you know, maybe it was partly that he was working with this guy who we now feel is the sinister overlord of this whole thing. So we wonder how much influence did Bell have on Bishop to make him act a certain way that now he realizes that's not the way you should act. So I didn't want Olivia to punch him, but I I do think that he needed to be knocked down a peg to be reminded of how severe the consequences of his past actions are turning out to be. And especially, I I think it was, it was either this episode or the other episode, Olivia mentioned how many people had died since fringe started. And she was like, you know, 81 people, not including the 147 on a plane. We've investigated their like weird fringe related murders. And you're like, and at least three quarters all tie back to Bishop in some way like this guy, even though we know that he's a good man. Now his work is leaving a body count in its wake that is really starting to pile up. So I Mm -hmm. do think that that scene with him and Olivia was a nice way of giving empathy for him, but also not letting him completely off the hook, but reminding us like, you love this guy because he's wacky. But remember, he did do bad stuff, but he did it thinking it was the right thing. And that can sometimes be more dangerous.
0: Do you think that because I don't understand why Olivia didn't face Walter when Peter was there? Do you think that she did that because she knew that if she faced Walter with Peter there that he he would have stopped her from berating his father?
1: I think so. I think she knew that Peter would maybe have intervened or maybe would have taken taken sides and she didn't want it to be like a two on one fight because this is deeply personal and about what happened to her as a child. So I think she I can almost imagine her waiting outside the restaurant, like all fired up and just hoping that Peter has to take a leak. So, so the like that the logic part of me is like is that what she was doing was she just waiting outside all fired up until Peter went to the bathroom this is so so weird it was such a tv moment that uh the scene is beautiful and played out perfect but then i just kept thinking like that timing it was like a batman exit she made
0: wrapping up here as we as we close off this week's episode what are you looking forward To in the in
1: the uh in the final episodes that we have here coming up obviously the way that we have been building and we had william bell become the guy who's funding zft in this batch of episodes the previous episode we had william bell's voice on a tape we are building to the reveal of william bell in person they mentioned that he's traveling But we've got to figure by the time the finale rolls around, his trip will be over. And even in this episode, you know, you're the son of Sarek. That makes you Spock. Hold the phone. Real Spock is on his way. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: I think that'll do it, guys, for this week's episode of Radio 815. If you guys like anything that we do here, there are a couple ways that you can reach out to us. You can reach out to us. Uh, just by using the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Radio 815, or you can reach out to us using our own personal Twitter account. It is JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, I'm on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to talk to you about anything at all, what would be the best place for
1: them to reach you? The best way to reach me is on the app Singles Together. And you can like my profile and maybe we can be singles together or on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Also,
0: before we go, I do want to mention that we also have a YouTube channel. It's just YouTube slash 15 where you can catch all of our back catalog episodes. New episodes are uploaded there every Monday at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time. So there are a myriad of ways that you can reach out to us and talk to us if you please. But until next time, as always, we'll talk back soon. Radio
1: 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.